So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, now listen, we're going to end up in Nehemiah chapter 8. But before we get there, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. We, I have a lot of Scripture for you this morning. We're going to, we're going to look at, at several Scriptures before we get there in Revelation and, and, and Jeremiah and Proverbs and some other things. And so we'll get to Nehemiah chapter 8 because that's where we are in the book. And so, so the, this morning I want to talk to you about in this series building without blueprints, and so we've been talking about, about it's difficult to build a life without a plan. It's difficult to build a life with, without blueprints, and so this was what was happening in the book of Nehemiah. The children of Israel were trying to rebuild their lives. They're trying to rebuild the church, and the problem is they didn't have any blueprints, and so for 70 years, they were trying to get this right, trying to overcome some things, trying to do some things, but for whatever reason, they, they could not do it, and the reason they couldn't do it is they didn't have any blueprints. They, they didn't have a guide. So Nehemiah comes on the scene, and he begins rebuilding the church, and he begins rebuilding people's lives. And then in Nehemiah chapter 8 and following, we'll get there in a few minutes, Nehemiah starts putting some things back in place. He starts putting some things back into the church, and so, and so because they, they had forgotten some things, and they had, they had lost, they had, they had lost their, their passion and the reason they had lost their passion is they no longer built their life on, on the book, the book of the law, the, the scriptures. They got rid of it. And so they, it no longer had any influence in their life. And if you've ever been on a construction site, a job site, if you ever remodeled your house or anything like that, you know that once you get a permit, that you got a, you got a job book. You got, you got the book. And in that book is like codes and specifications and guidelines and, and drawings and everything. And so whenever, whenever there's a question on the job site, what do you go back to? You go back to the engineering. You go back to the book. You go back to the book. In fact, is by the end of the project, that, that book is like almost destroyed. Because it's been referenced so many times and there's notes and comments and everything else. Because, listen... It all goes back to the book, and the same thing is true with our life. And this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the book. I want to talk to you because I think, I think this, I think we need to get back to the book. I think we need to come to the place that we understand the place of the book, the importance of the book in our lives. And so, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, John is writing to a church that, that, that left their first love because they got, they got away from the Scriptures. They got away from the book, and he says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. Go back. If not, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Now, there's blessing unless you repent. Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah speaks as a prophet. He speaks into a community. He speaks into a society. And, and I think he could speak into our society today. I, this applies so much in our society. He says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and, and look. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. He's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the book. But they said, we will not walk in it. Man, in this season, in this time that we in, I mean, you, you know this, right? Our, 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 world's, our world is in chaos. Our country is in chaos. I mean, I, it, the world is in chaos, whether it's Russia, whether it's Palestine, whether it's Israel, whether it's Iraq, Iran, whether it's ISIS, whether it's, whether it's uh, Japan, whether, you, you, you name it. We're in crisis. And in this season of culture, in this season of time in which we live in, we're a cynical generation, we're a me-first generation, we're, 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 we're right is wrong and wrong is, is right. 
And, and our world needs an encounter with Jesus Christ. And our world needs an encounter with people that understand it's all about the book. It's all about the scriptures. And see, I still believe, I still believe that the Bible is an inerrant word of God. That it is without mistake. That it is without error. And that you can take and you can build your life on it. See, what happened there with the children of Israel, they got away from the book. And they couldn't understand why they're walking in darkness. They couldn't understand why they couldn't overcome some things. They couldn't understand why they couldn't do something. And Nehemiah comes in and says, we got to get back to the book. we got to get back to the Bible. we got to get back to the Word of God. See, that's why, we, that's why we life journal. Listen, I'm telling you, it was such a burden of mine. Do you realize we are the most biblical, uh, illiterate generation in the history? we got more access to to information, to computers, to scriptures, to commentaries, to Greek and Hebrew dictionaries. And we're, we're biblically illiterate. See, that's why we life journal here. That's why we push you into scripture and into reading his word. We, we have a generation now that knows less about scripture than any other generation. And I'm reminded of at Christmas Eve, I was, I was at the Christmas Eve service, of course, and I, w- I was preaching, and on the front row was like my family. And so it was uh, Co- uh, Brittany and, and her husband, Corey, and, and then their kids, our grandkids, really. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then Amanda and Pete, they're all on the front row. And Gavin, the four-and-a-half-year-old, and Gavin and I, we've had a running argument ever since he could talk. I mean, we, I mean, I can tell him the sky's blue. He'll say, no, it's green. And so we've argued all the way through breakfast over grape jelly. Uh, and so, you know, and then I'm the one that ends up in trouble. Karen's like, seriously, can you not be the adult here? And I go, we need to understand they're not blueberries, they're, they're grapes. And so we, we've always have. So anyway, so I, I'm preaching at the Christmas Eve service, and I do what I always do. I says, you know, open up your Bibles, either click to, turn to, and this is where we are. And I said, this is what the Bible says. Gavin, sitting in Karen's lap, turns to Karen and says, Nana, that's not what the Bible says. When we get home, when we get to my house, I'll, I'll read you my Bible. It has lots of pages, and that's not what the Bible says. Pop-Pop doesn't know. We're headed up. Karen and I are headed up to, to Colorado Springs, spend Christmas Eve with the kids. And Karen tells me that story, and I get frustrated. I said, Karen, do you not realize he cannot read? He can't even read. What is he talking about? I'd like to have that conversation. It's uh, <laughs> You know what? That's our generation. Listen, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people saying, you know what? The Bible's with mistakes. The Bible is not of God. The Bible... Uh, can't be trusted. And you know what? They've never read the Bible. They never truly read the Bible. And yet we have a generation saying you cannot trust the Bible. There's some people that will discredit the Bible because maybe someone has wrongly applied the word. We don't do that in any other area, right? If a doctor or a nurse misapplies their medical knowledge and makes a mistake, because they do that, we don't say all their medical books are wrong. We live in a generation where people do not honor his word. Listen, I'm telling you, sometimes people just won't. People are just looking for God or they're looking for something that, that they just agree with. This is, listen, the Bible is not like Starbucks. 
where we order our coffee to our expectation. It's not like Burger King where we just have it our way. Listen, I'm telling you, every one of us in this room, we need a spontaneous word from God that we cannot control. It's bigger than ourselves. See, the most, the problem is most people, they want a God that they can control to tell him how they want their life and their expectations to their specifications. And then they expect him to deliver, and if it doesn't happen the way they... They wanted to, they bail. We, we have to come to the place where we trust the Bible, we understand the Bible, and we apply the Bible to our lives. We have to come to the place where we think biblically and not emotionally. The Word of God is an incorruptible seed and it abides forever. And when you and I put the Word of God in our heart, it, what Scripture says, it bears fruit. See, this is what's happening children of Israel. They were no longer taking the Word, the book, and putting it in their heart. And it wasn't bearing fruit. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever or stands forever. Matthew 4 4 said, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 6 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Listen, I just need to tell you, they are not referring just to physical provisions. They're referring to the Word of God. In other words, we should be asking God for a word every day. Give us this day our manna, our manna from heaven. Every morning when I life journal, I, I am asking God, God, what do you want to say to me? Not what do you want to say to my wife or what do you want to say to my family or, or even what do you want to say to a congregation? God, what do you have for me? Because every one of us needs a, a word from him. Nehemiah chapter 8. They have this large worship service. And see, before this, there was no passion. There was no passion in worship. There was no passion with God. Because they got away from the book. And so, so they have this worship service. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 8. Here's what the scripture says. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gates. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the, the book. The book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book, the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of folks. <laughs> Why couldn't these people be from Texas? Well, you got simple names. Billy Bob and, and Ezra. Open the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. It's in the Bible. It's actually in the Bible. 
And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then a bunch of people helped other people understand the law. While the people remained in their places, life group leaders, ministry leaders, and they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, and they stood up in their places and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. And on the stairs of the Levites stood some more people. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. In, listen, outside of the church, in every other place of society, we can do vile, violent, immoral things. You can do whatever you want. Everybody seems to be okay with it, but when you say the name of Jesus or when you talk about scriptures, all of a sudden everybody gets offended. And I, and I know, I get it, I understand that there are people that say the church, the church should like calm down a little bit, that the church should be a, a quiet place. But can I tell you, when, when, when they brought the book of the law back, when they brought the scriptures back, can I tell you this? They worship with passion. They worship with loud voices. See, the world, the world wants you and I, and I'm getting tired of it, but the world wants you and I to be quiet about our faith. And they want to mute our passion. And they want, us, they want the world to focus our passion towards carnal things, whether it's things of, of sports or things of entertainment or whether it's where they want us to shout for like our favorite team, or they want us to shout for our favorite hobbies, or they want us to shout for our favorite entertainment. But I am determined that I will not shout louder for a team that does not know my name than the God who saved me. Amen. We need to come to the place. Do we just get back to the book? This is just a, such a burden of mind and ministry that we understand his words. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and with, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, listen, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I want to give you three things about getting back to the book, getting back to the Word. The first thing you've got to remember is this, is the Word is life. The, wor the Word is life. That's what Jesus said, in, that's what the Scripture says in John 1.1, 1, 1, that the Word is life. John 6.33 says, for the bread of God is He. So now we know He's talking about a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Proverbs 4.20 my son, be attentive to my words, your ear to, to my sayings. Listen, let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them in healing to all their flesh. For they are life, 
His word is life to all who fight. Are you searching? Are you looking? Are you reading? And this is, this is what I want you to understand. When you're, when you're reading this book, when you're reading the book, it is not just for knowledge. It is not just for information. It is just not, it is just not for history. When you're reading His Word, you're receiving life. life. Listen, life is being imparted to you. This book is just not letters on a page. This is life. And I promise you, we got testimony after testimony after testimony in this church. If you will read his word consistently for a year, if you will life journal with us, your life will be better in a year. I spend time in this book. Not for sermons and not for you. I think that's why a lot of pastors and a lot of church leaders no longer have passion. I think that's why some of them like, end up in in, in the ditches and off the rails and, and we read about them in the, in the newspaper and we talk about another pastor, another ch- church leader that has fallen. And I believe one of the reasons that is is because they've started only looking at Scripture as it applies to you. And that's why I have a commitment. I life journal and I ask God, God, what do you want to say to me? Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scriptures breathe out, important word, by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are you going to be equipped and complete without the book? See, that's the problem of the children of Israel. They're trying to build their life without the scriptures. They're trying to rebuild. They're trying to, they have no blueprints. They have no plan because you know what? They've rejected that plan. And if, if you meet someone that you would say that individual is a man or a woman of God, then you're talking about a person who spends time in the, in the book. Th- this is the key. This is, this is the secret. See, it's so important when you use the word that, that, that the word is, is breathe out. I mean, when you look at the Greek, it's, it's like, the, it's like the, the breath of God. It's like it's God literally breathed the scriptures. Listen, let me tell you something. When, when, you, when you read the Scriptures, whether you realize it or not, life is being imparted to you. you. You are receiving, and this may be new information from some of you, and that's okay. You are literally receiving the breath of God. John 20, 22 says, and, and when he had, had said this, he, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. There's something about the breath of God every morning and every night. If you will, if you will open this book and if you will read it, the Son of God, the, the Word, will like breathe on you. His breath gives life, Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed. Into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Listen, the breath of God is life to us. You know on the weekends when we gather for a worship service, you know what we're doing? We are breathing out the breath of God and receiving it. That's why you feel better when you leave here. Not because I did a good job. 
but because the breath of God came into you. And can I just tell you this? One breath a week is not enough. You know why the children of Israel were struggling? You know why many Christians are struggling today? Because they're suffocating. They're trying to make it barely on one breath. You know why a lot of us don't know what God says about us and says who we are? Because we don't get into the Word. We don't even know what the Word says. Some of you may feel like the children of Israel. You never like get it together and you can never overcome something in your life or overcome a struggle or have victory in your life. And you know what the difference is? You have no air. You're suffocating. So the word is not only life. The second thing is this. The word is light. The word is not only life, but the word is, is light. And John 1.4 says, in him, was, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which, get, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I mean, you, you know we, we live in a dark world. We, we live in a dark world, but let me tell you where the light is. The light is, is in his word. And when you get up in the morning and, and you read scripture, you know what you're doing? You're, you're turning the light on. When you walk out of the house in the morning, instead of walking out into darkness, if you'll read his word, you can walk out into the light because you're carrying a light with you. Have you, have you ever gotten to that point in your life where you just don't know what to do? You just don't know what decision to make. How about this? Turn the light on. <laughs> I'm getting to that age to where I need to get up in the middle of the night and like go to the bathroom. It's like frustrating. It's like annoying. And so I know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night and try to make your way to the bathroom in complete darkness. And so many times I think if I could just turn a light on, I wouldn't have to stumble around. Many Christians are stumbling through life. So they've never turned a, a light on. And they're, they're making decisions. Well, look at this. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division and soul and, and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Every time you have a decision to make, your mind, your will, your emotions, your friends, your family will tell you what you should do. And can I tell you, oftentimes they'll misguide you. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what God wants me to do? I wonder what choice God would, make me, would, would ask me to do or would want me to do. And the only way that you and I can divide, can, to divide between what you want to do and what God wants you to do is through his, through his word, through the book. See, the book is what divides. The book is what gives light. The book is what causes the situation not to be muddy anymore and if you'll stay in this book and you'll stay submitted to this book 
it will be extremely clear to you and to I what we should do. Let me give you some more scriptures. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What gives victory over sin? The book. His word. Look at this. Joshua 1.8. This is an important verse for me. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way, way prosperous, and then you will have good success. When, 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 when I became a Christian, uh, David Hill, I'll, tell you, I'll end with a story about David Hill, meant a great deal to me. And David Hill took my Bible, and in, in the flyleaf, he said, Charlie here, and he, he wrote Joshua 1.8. And I'm like, well, I don't even know where that is. And so he laughed and turned and, and got the page number. So in my Bible, it has Joshua 1.8 and the page number in parentheses. And then he says, um, here's a saying that I, I never want you to forget. And then I want you to go home and I want you to read this verse. And, and he said, the saying is this. And he wrote the saying in my Bible. And he says, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. It's your choice. That was what was happening to the children of Israel. That's why they couldn't build their lives. That's, that's how come they couldn't rebuild. They'd gotten away from the book. How are you and I going to be prosperous and succeed and successful in life when we don't meditate on the Word of God? But there's like this step that he says. You, got only not, you, you not only read it, but you meditate on it, and then you apply it. I'm telling you, regardless of the season that you're in, this book has the answers to what you're going, this book, this book has a word for you. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your business, whether it's and how you handle life. And the problem is we got we got to get back. We got to get back to the book. The third and the last thing is this: is, is the word is Lord. The word is Lord. The word is life. The word is light. And the word is the Lord. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, it was, and He was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, what Colossians tells us. And without Jesus, nothing was made. John 1, 14 gives a definition, helps us understand who the Word is. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called the Word of God. The word is the Lord. Romans, uh, Revelation 9.16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you combine that with John chapter 1 and you realize that the word became flesh and it's Jesus and he dwelt among us. John 5.39, let me just clarify this. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. It doesn't say but. It says and. It's not like saying you, you can have one thing or the other. 
What he's saying is, you search the scriptures. And the scriptures will lead you to me. That's what that verse is saying. David Hill, who I, who I referenced, meant a, meant a great deal to me in my, in, my early, in my early Christian life. And when I became a Christian, uh, I met David Hill. And David Hill uh, had been a believer for, for four or five years. David Hill had been in jail for every, for every reason other than murder. So he'd spent some time in jail. David had been married five, five different times. So he was a pretty dysfunctional guy. He was struggling. And, um, and so Mickey Hill was wife, number, was wife number four. And so Mickey and David got a divorce. They separated. Uh, about a year later, uh, this is just David's story, about a year later, David contacted Mickey and says, Mickey, I'd, I'd like to get back with you. Is there any way we'd get back together? And she says, well, you're not going to believe this. I, I'm a Christian. I've, I've met Christ. And so he kind of laughed, and she says, no, seriously, I am a Christian. And, uh, and so he says, well, I, I still want to date you. And she says, you don't understand. I've become a Christian. I want my life to line up with the scriptures and God. And so I, I, I refuse to date non-Christians. And since you're a non-Christian, I can't date you. And he said, was there any way you could see me? And so she said, sure. She says, meet me tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock at my church, and sit beside me. And, and, but, but it's not a date. It is not a date. So David goes and he meets her and they're sitting side by side. They make it all the way through the worship service and then they got to the end about the, the commitment card and so, so she looked at him and said, David, if, if you're for real, you're going to fill this card out and turn it in. So he filled the card out and, and, and turned it in. Uh, David didn't realize that at that church, that means a deacon's going to show up at your door uh, on Monday. Now listen, we don't do that here, so feel free to turn in your cards, okay? <laughs> We want to clear that up. And so David fills out the card. He turns it into the, the basket. And, so, and um, so Monday night he's at his apartment. So his little efficiency, one-bedroom apartment. All that he has in his apartment is, is like a beach chair, a cooler, and that's it. No TV, nothing else. De deacon bangs on the door, and, and David goes to the door, and he says, May I help you? He says, Yeah, I'm a deacon from, from, from the church that you visited. I'd like to come in and talk to you about God. And so David says, you know, that's just not going to work for me. He says, I, I, I just did like two lines of, of cocaine, and, and now I'm drinking Jack Daniels. And, and um, he says, I'm probably not going to remember anything that, that you, you tell me. So it's just it's not going to be a good use of your time or my time. And so he says, well, fine. Do you mind if I, if I, if I leave you a Bible? He says, sure. So David comes in. And so that next morning, David Hill sobered up. And... Um, he didn't have anything to do. He didn't have a TV. So David says, I'll, I'll, I'll read this book. So he leans over. He gets the book. And so David didn't know that, like, with a Bible, you can just kind of open it and start reading anywhere. David didn't know that. He thought it was like any other book. So David opened up the book, and he started reading in Genesis. And this may seem strange to you, but when David Hill got to the place where Adam named the animals, God spoke to him. He accepted Christ. And I ask him, what, why did you accept Christ over that? You may be the only person. <laughs> he said, something happened in my spirit. And I thought, if, if a man could name animals thousands of years ago, and we still call them by that name, there must be a God. You know what it was? You read the scriptures. And they'll lead me, 
or they'll lead you to me. David Hill met Christ. Mickey and him remarried. And uh, they're still married and still doing well. We have, I'm telling you, we've got to get back to the book. 